Well, as you can see from the screen, the title of this morning's sermon is Filled with Joy and Peace. Filled with Joy and Peace. Now, joy and peace are two emotions. And as you think about emotions, God designed man to have the capacity for experiencing emotions or feelings. Another word for the same thing. And over time, specific feelings have been identified and labeled so that what you're feeling is now described by a particular word. Examples of emotions that have been labeled, and this is not going to be an exhaustive list, probably as I'm saying, uh, I'm saying this now, things are popping to your mind though. But here's a few. So feel surprise, so that's one. Surprise, how about disgust? That's a fun feeling, isn't it? Love, lust, desire, happiness, feeling sadness, fear. That's a powerful one, isn't it? Shame, another powerful one. Guilt, remorse, regret. That's a powerful emotion too, isn't it? Peace, which we'll talk about today. Anger, rage. That's a great feeling, isn't it? Rage. Resentment, bitterness, satisfaction. Now, there's a good feeling, feeling satisfied. Content, weary, loneliness, or lonely. There's just a few. Now, as you listen to that list, emotions either have a good or a positive or a bad or negative effect on your overall well-being. As you're experiencing certain ones of those emotions, they're either good and helpful, and beneficial, and positive to your well-being, or they're negative and detrimental to your overall well-being. There's very few people who could say, as they're feeling shame, guilt, anger, rage, resentment, regret, that that's a positive place to be. That's a positive space to be existing in in that moment. That that's beneficial to you. That's not where joy, or happiness, or peace, or contentment is found, because those are the opposite emotions. So at any given time, you are presently experiencing or filled with one or more emotions. And being filled with negative emotions is devastating to your quality of life. If that's the space that you find yourself in consistently, that's not beneficial to your overall quality of living. You see, God intends for man to be filled with him. So you're thinking about the emotions that you could be filled with. God, first and foremost, intends for man to be filled with him and thus filled with good emotions. Because the emotions that are produced by God's Spirit are good and beneficial to your overall quality of life because God is for you. God is not against you. God utilizes his spirit working inside every believer to make this possible. And it only occurs when you're walking by faith and presently trusting the Lord. When you're walking by faith and presently trusting the Lord, then you're filled up with the things that God wants you to be filled up with. Now, there's a lot of aspects to that. We've touched on that in terms of even being filled with God's provision for our lives as we went through Psalm 23 to be topped up to the point of overflowing. We could be filled up with, in terms of thinking, as we focused on the thinking, what are, where is our mind focused on? And that's very important. But another aspect of being filled up as led and directed by the Spirit of God is to be filled with the kinds and qualities of emotions that describe God himself and that his Spirit can produce 
in your life so we have filled with joy and peace here as the subject of our sermon this morning. You see, as we've been looking at these prayers of Paul, the next prayer we're going to look at is found in Romans 15, 13. And in Romans 15, 13, it emphasizes this principle that God has a desire that we would be filled with his joy and his peace. So if you're not there already, turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 13, and we'll dive into this a little bit deeper. Let's just read Romans 15, 13 together. Let's read it out loud. Let's, let's do that for fun here this morning. If everyone's at Romans 15, 13, in case you didn't bring a Bible here, here it is. Romans 15, 13. All together now. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13, one of the more famous prayers of Paul, one of the ones that is more recognized and more memorized probably than most others, if not all others. So let's unpack it a little bit more here this morning. We start with may the God of hope. May the God of hope. What a great way to describe God. This word of tells us that this is both a quality that describes God and also something that is sourced in God. So hope is something that describes God. He's the God of hope, but he's also the source of hope. So similar to last week, I won't go into it in great detail because last week we had in Paul's prayer an introduction that said, may the God of patience and comfort. So now we're adding another quality that both describes God and is also a quality or that is sourced in God. So we have patience and comfort from last week, and now we have hope. You see, everything good is sourced in or connected to God himself. It describes him, and it's found and sourced in him. And as you think about what we mentioned last week about patience and comfort, those are not qualities that you naturally possess, not as it relates to eternity anyway. They're not qualities that you naturally have. So when you're searching for those things, you very often a person says, I need more patience, or I don't, I never feel comfortable, I'm never at peace. We're going to talk about that more in, in a sense, the, the peace part of it, but I'm never comfortable, I'm never at peace, I'm never content, I don't have hope, I feel hopeless, and that's because you can't find those things in yourself. As much as you search, you may temporarily find some of those things in the world around you, but temporarily they won't last. They're not going to have an eternal quality to them. They're not going to fill your soul. They're not going to feed your soul. They're going to be things that you're desperately looking for but can't find in the world around you, and you can't find them in yourself. So the Word of God is consistently telling us that those things that we're desperately needing and searching for, they can be found, but they can only be found in one source. They can be found in, our, in God himself. And as we rightly relate to God and we live life with him and his spirit actually takes up residence in us, then he produces those kinds of godly qualities that in fact we've been missing and searching for. He produces those in our lives. Not because of us, but through us because he loves us so much and because he's such a good God who undertakes to meet all of our needs and to provide us with a life that is abundant. That's the kind of life that he came to give us. 
And so you think about the things connected with an abundant or an overflowing life. It's these kind of qualities that the world can never give us, can never offer, the flesh can never provide. We can never manufacture for ourselves. So I think it's interesting that Paul carries on with this theme of describing these kinds of things or qualities or attributes of God himself that we don't naturally have. So he says, may the God of hope, just like he said, may the God of patience and comfort. Now when we look at hope, hope is ordinarily defined as a desire for something good or beneficial to happen. A desire for something good or beneficial to happen. The focus, though, is on that word desire. To hope is to desire for something without having any real confidence about, the expect- about that event or that thing actually coming to fulfillment. See, in typical usage, the word actually expresses uncertainty rather than certainty. What I mean by that is imagine some of the contexts that you could use the word hope as the world normally would use the word hope. And here an example might be, I hope I can manage to get all these projects done. So those of you who own homes, uh, put yourself sort of in that place, right? You have a number of different things that are sort of lurking uh, in the background, things that you really would like to get done, projects that have been kind of eating away at you, have been gnawing at you, that you feel some sense of desire that they, they could get done and you want to get them done. Now, the longer you live in a place, the longer that list gets, right? Because the house isn't fixing itself, it isn't maintaining itself, it isn't getting any newer, is it? So every, every day that goes by as it's subjected to the wear and tear on the inside and the wear and tear of the elements on the outside, the thing is falling apart, isn't it? Same could be true of any number of things. So as you observe that and you notice that, there's a list of projects that is continuously adding up. And you have some desire that all of those things would be taken care of because you know it would be in your best interest to not let the thing rot away because you have a significant investment in it. Are you following with me? Now come to the inside of the house. That's just the outside. The inside, same kind of thing, right? You normally build up clutter. You, you, you have a lot of things come into a home, but not a lot of things go out. Not enough things go out. There's some exceptions to this. <laughs> My wife just gave me the, the dirtiest look. Oh. <laughs> I was speaking hypothetically. I'm not, I'm not speaking about a particular home. I'm just saying homes in general. <laughs> Things have a way of coming in, and they have a harder way of getting out. And so you end up with different areas of your home where you're thinking, I'd really like to tidy this up or fix this up or organize this and, and clean, this, clean this out. Amen? There's some of that happening? Okay. But when you say something like, I hope I can get to all these projects, it's, just, it's saying, I, it would be nice, I have a desire that it would happen, but do you really have an expectation that's confident that that really, really will come to fulfillment? And, and the reality is, you don't. What you really mean when you say, I hope I can manage to get all these projects done, you really mean, I don't really have any certainty that I will get them all done, but that's my inner desire. That's a better way of saying how people normally understand the word hope. But biblical hope, however, is very different from the ordinary use of the word hope. Biblical hope refers to a confident expectation regarding the promises of God. 
The promises of God are all good and beneficial. So the good and beneficial promises of God, I guess, is the way you could put that. Biblical hope refers to a confident expectation regarding the good and beneficial promises of God. So if you're the one who's trying to make definitions, there you, there you have a definition of what we mean by biblical hope. This confident expectation regarding the fulfillment of the good and beneficial promises of God. See, each time I say it, I'm adding more words for you. That's sort of the context. That's the, that's the content of what we mean, or the Bible means when it refers to hope, because it's when it's fo- focused or fixed in, or sourced in, God. He said, instead of simply desiring something good for the future, biblical hope expects the fulfillment of whatever God promised. You see, God is the source of hope, and God never fails. So when you think about this, start connecting these dots here, the confidence is born from the reliability of the object of the Christian's hope. So why does the Christian's hope, when we talk about Christian hope, why do we have this confident expectations? Because the Christian's hope is connected to an object of that hope. And for the Christian, the object of that hope is God himself. Now, who is he? What is he like? Why does that give us a confidence that is not found in the normal usage of the word hope? It's because God, the God that we serve, the God that we love, is an unfailing God. He's a true God. He's a faithful God. He never fails to keep his word or his promises. So when God makes a promise to you, the hope that you can have in the fulfillment of that promise is different than anything you can experience in this world. You see, if I was to make a promise to you, you would be back to the human use of the word hope. You would say, I hope that comes to fulfillment. I I, I hope that happens. I hope he follows through with that. Now, some of you have given me things to announce, okay, and you know that that's not, there's no guarantee that I will follow through with that. Some of you have come up to me and you've said, could you add this to the prayer list. And with the mind that I have to work with, if I don't write it down immediately, you might have to remind me, hey, you never, you you forgot to get that on the prayer list. Human beings are flawed. Human, Human beings are imperfect. And so when we connect hope to a human source, we don't have that confident expectation. But when we connect our hope to the promises of God who never fails, Now we understand hope in a very different way. You see, God's word reveals many good and beneficial promises relating to the believer's past, present, and future spiritual well-being. All of those promises are accessed through faith in Christ, his person and work, meaning that you cannot have a hope in the promises of God as it relates to your past, present, and future until you first have a relationship with God. The only way that you can have access to God or relationship with God was found in or through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why when you think about the entry or how do I get into God's family, it's all tied to this decision to put my trust in the door that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I am the door. By me, if anyone enters in, he shall be saved. He said, I, as the person and work of me, and the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. So if God has made promises to his children, you say, how do I get access to God? It has to be by coming through 
the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, who is Jesus Christ? He's God who became man. He humbled himself. He became a servant to die in the place of sinners. The whole Old Testament storyline builds towards this idea that man is hopeless apart from God doing for man what man could never do for himself. That man standing independent from God is bound for an eternity separate from God. But that God through his provision to deal with man's sinfulness could make man to be in a standing, in a right standing with God. Man could have access to God through faith, through learning to depend on God, take what God said to the bank, trust God with what was revealed to him. And what God revealed to different men at different times was progressing, meaning that that revelation of God, it built on itself where man learned more and more about God as God revealed more and more about himself to different people at different times to the point where we get to where we are today where we have the completed word of God in front of us that tells us a lot about who God is. But the whole point was that man could not have access to God unless somebody could deal with his sinfulness. Something could be done about what was estranging man from God. You see, sin was separating man from God. The Bible says that the wage of sin is death, death referring to eternal separation from God. And the Bible goes on, though, to say, but the gift of God is eternal life. How do I get into this eternal life relationship, this permanent family of God? It's eternal life through, remember, there's the door idea, the picture of going through a door, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want to show you this verse about this idea that without Christ, mankind remains perpetually lost and hopeless. Turn to Ephesians 2.12 if you want to turn to it yourself. I'm going to take it off there. So now, if you want to turn to it, turn to it. The good thing about turning to passages, friends, and why I'm trying to do it a little bit more, is because if we don't practice turning to passages, we forget where these things are in our Bible, or if you never knew where these things were, you never learn where they are. All right, now for those of you who don't have a Bible, here you go. Ephesians 2, 12 through 13. There was a time that every man was without Christ. And when you were without Christ... When you hadn't put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, how he died for your sins, how he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scripture, which is the gospel, that Jesus Christ became sin for you. He paid the debt that you owed. He became the final sacrifice, the final lamb that had been pictured symbolically throughout the Old Testament as an innocent needs to die, needs to shed its blood in the place of the guilty. If an innocent doesn't substitute or take the place of the guilty, then who has to be punished? The guilty. Who has to pay the debt? The one who owes it, which was every man, woman, and child on planet earth for all time because they were all born sinners and then chose to sin, identified with the sinfulness of the race of Adam. So unless something was done about that debt that each man owed, unless another would take their place, that person would have to die and spend eternity apart from God. That place or being in that position was hopeless, friends. It was absolutely hopeless. But the God of hope made a way through the person and work of his son so that Jesus could become sin for us who knew no sin so that we could become something we're not, which was the righteousness of God in him or through him. 
It's through faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's gracious provision for our sinfulness that we can be saved. Put those in whatever order you want. It's God's grace that makes it possible for us to have faith in his finished work on our behalf, and it's only through Jesus Christ. And you think about that, that's what this is talking about. There was a time that you were. He's speaking to a a group of believers. There was a time that you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. You hadn't got in on the promises that God had made. You had no hope. And you were without God in the world. That's the position a man is in apart from Jesus Christ. Apart from faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the position somebody's still in who thinks they're a Christian, identifies as a Christian, but is putting all of their trust in what they can do for Jesus, how they're, they've cleaned up their life or they could live a certain way or they could do certain things or certain religious hoops that they've jumped through, but they've never put their faith in what Jesus did on the cross as he died in their place and cried out, it is finished, paid in full. It's only my love that has caused me to want to leave heaven behind and come and die in your place. Will you accept that love gift, that love offering of my sacrifice in your place? You see, God didn't bankrupt heaven. He didn't send his son because you were so attractive to him. He said you were dead in trespasses and sins. You were described as ungodly. We saw last week you were described as an enemy of God. There was none good, no, not one. There was none righteous. There was none that was seeking after God. It wasn't because you were so desperately seeking him and so attractive to him that he decided to come and save you. It was when you were without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly, Romans chapter 5 says. So I hope you see that. Everyone was equally needy. Everybody had the same problem. There was none that were a little closer to God than others that God only had to rescue a little bit. Everybody was drowning and absolutely hopeless and helpless and hellbound unless Christ would intervene. And so you have this description here. You were without hope and you were without God because you were without Christ, we see in the first line there. But now, that's how it used to be. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by what? By the blood of Christ. When we look at the cross, we don't see a partial solution to our sinfulness. We see God's complete solution to man's sinfulness as the shedding of Jesus Christ's precious blood can wash us clean the moment we put our faith in his finished work on our behalf and nothing else. That is the gospel. That is the good news of the gospel because, you see, if you still had some part to play in this, you could never have any assurance that you were God's child. You would always wonder, am I doing enough? Am I maintaining what God started? Have I finished? Have I dragged this thing across the finish line? You could never be sure that you were God's child. But you know, a child who's born into a human family, is that child uncertain about whether he's your child or not? Under, except for extremely rare circumstances where you keep telling him that he's adopted or something. If you somehow gave him some reason to believe he wasn't your child, but a child normally who's been held by his mother since the day he was born doesn't have any question about whether he's a child. The child at times can question whether the relationship is on good terms that he has with his mother. 
But that mother that held him against her chest for all of those years of her life, hugged, hugged that child, brought them close, embraced that child year after year after year, that child, no matter what that child does or no matter whether that child deserves to be a child or not, knows that he or she is a child. Why is it that religion can confuse Christianity enough to make people doubt whether they could really know that they're God's children or not? You know it because it had nothing to do with you. Your birth into God's family was through your simple act of accepting by faith what Jesus had already done for you. As soon as you realize that Christianity is not about what you can do for God, but you accepting what God has done for you, you can have absolute assurance of your salvation. You could know that you're forever secure in God's forever family. Do you understand that? The only way you can have that, though, is if you get yourself out of the equation. As long as you still think that you're playing some part in it, you'll never know. I met a man recently. I was sharing the gospel with somebody else, and he overheard it, and he said to me, I was really glad to hear that. I'm a Christian myself. I said, really, tell me, when, when did you get saved? And he told me that when he was younger, he had, gotten, he had gotten saved. I said, just do you mind me asking you a question? If you die today, do you know for sure you're going to go to heaven when you die? And he said, I don't think you can know that. Now, some of us, you know, it brings out a response in us. I heard a couple even here. Because we know that John wrote, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, K-N-O-W, that you have eternal life. Now, it refers to a quality of living in time, but it refers to an eternity with Christ too. You can know that. Now, how could you know that? Because you had understood that Christ, who is a promise-keeping, faithful, never-failing kind of a God, had ensured that outcome for you the moment you put your faith in him. And I said, I said, what's stopping you from having that confidence? And he said, I just struggle sometimes with wondering if I'm worthy or not. And I said, I can help you with that. You're not worthy. And you never will be. That's not the message of salvation. The message of salvation is how God came and he took the place of the unworthy and he can make you worthy not because of something that you've done but because he wants to take his worthiness, his righteousness and he wants to credit it to your account. He wants to clothe you in his righteousness the moment you put his faith in his finished work, your faith in his finished work on your behalf. The Bible says that you become credited or clothed in the righteousness of God. So Christ's righteousness now wraps around you not because of something you've done but because of who he is and what he's done. Now, God, when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son Jesus, and he can say to you, you are now worthy, not because you are really, but because you're now identified with the worthiness or the righteousness of God's son. Do you see how somebody who is clothed in sinfulness can have our sin placed on Jesus and now through faith in the finished work of Christ can be clothed in God's righteousness? That's how you can have absolute assurance of your salvation is because it's not about you at all. It's about who you're identified with, and now you're identified with the righteousness of Christ. That was a little bit of a sidetrack there, but when we talk about hope, 
The only way you can access any of these promises or have this confident expectation in God's fulfillment of his promises is through faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. And there was a time where you had to make a decision. There's not many times over and over and over you have to make a decision about being born into God's family. Birth occurs at one time, at a point in time where you decide, I'm going to put all my eggs in the basket of faith in Christ. We're going to see that there's an ongoing need to have faith or trust in God's provision for you on a practical basis in order for you to experience the hope that God alone can provide. We'll get to that in a little bit. Now we have this next section, may the God of hope. That's how God is described. That's how biblical hope is understood. But here's the prayer now. This is an intercessory prayer. Here we have another example of Paul praying. Okay, He starts by describing God himself. Then he has this intercession, this prayer, this request, this petition that is offered on behalf of another person. He's not, again, praying for himself. He's saying, may the God of hope fill you praying for another person. These believers, all of them, not just some of them, but fill you with all joy and peace. That's his prayer for them. And that's where we got our title of this message this morning, filled with joy and peace. Now, fill you all. The word fill, that's the Greek word here that's translated fill. It means to make full or complete. Nothing real deep there. But some of the observations that we make from thinking about that, if you're filled, if you're filled with all joy and peace, if something is full, then there is no room for anything else. There's no room for anything more. So when you hear you're going to be filled with, and in the context here, specifically God's joy and God's peace, that'd be a pretty awesome thing to be filled with compared to some of those other emotions we talked about. You're filled with rage filled with fear, filled with shame, filled with regret, filled with guilt, filled with anger, filled with bitterness. God doesn't want any of that for you. He wants you to be filled with all joy, not just some joy, all joy and all peace. When you think of that word with, with emphasizes the substance or content of what you are to be filled with. Now, it starts with this idea that we have to have this relationship with God, which we just described through the personal work of His Son, which we've just described. Ultimately, we're filled with Him. And I want to show you that because then we have these emotions or qualities that are characteristic of God Himself that end up describing how we're filled. But look at Ephesians 5, 18. Ephesians 5, 18, one that many of you know. It says, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, and we're going to see here, and the things the Spirit produces, and the things the Spirit produces. But it starts with being filled by God Himself. And even this phrase, and do not be drunk with wine, does God want men to be under the influence of anything other than Him? And the answer is no. So many people have read this and put so much focus on the wine part of it. The idea is God doesn't want you to be under the influence of, under the control of, anything other than Him. He says, walk by means of the Spirit. And when that's happening, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Are there lots of examples of things that you could be under the influence of besides 
alcohol or wine? The answer is yeah. Tons of them. And God's saying none of it's for your benefit. I want you to be filled up to the top, filled so there's no room for anything else, with my Spirit and the things the Spirit produces. Now, filled with all. All is another indicator of God's desire to top you off completely, meaning He doesn't plan on filling you up 90% and then letting you fill in the rest with 10% of things that are useless and harmful to you. God wants to fill you up completely so there's no room for anything other than His goodness in your life. So we have that little word all that you could skip across. You see, God wants you to be filled with His qualities, characteristics, and perspective. He can't do that if you're already full. So when you hear that sense of empty yourself or empty myself, a prayer like that is probably a good prayer. Empty, Lord, empty me, help me to empty myself, but help me to get all the rest out of the way. If this is filled with water, we can't fill it with something else. Have you tried that before? It'd be running all over the place, but it wouldn't be effective at filling this because it was already, there was no room. It was already filled up with something else. God can't fill you with His Spirit or the things His Spirit produces if you're already full of self-centeredness, if you're already full of yourself. Show of hands who's full of themselves. (laughs) I have a couple honest people in this congregation. God can't fill you with himself or the things his spirit produces if you're already filled with human viewpoint, if you're already filled with your own way of thinking, if you're already filled with worldliness, if you're already fixated and focused and topped up to the top with the things of this life, the temporal things. How can he fill you with eternal things? So I just wanted to note that there may be a process involved of praying that, Lord, get rid of the rest. Help me, help me clean out the garbage so that you can fill me with your goodness. You see, only substances sourced in and provided by God will bring about any spiritual benefit in your life. All of those other things that you've let creep in and fill you up, they're not actually for your benefit. So then we get to the specifics here. Fill you with all joy and peace. Again, qualities that the Spirit of God produces when you're filled with Him. So we talk about joy first. Joy is defined as the emotion of great happiness, delight, or pleasure. And when you think about being filled with joy, joy accompanies a personal relationship with the Lord. You experience inner joy as you consider who your God is. Think about that. Doesn't it give you joy to know that your personal God is this awesome and amazing God that you can't even describe with human words? Not completely. That you're completely in awe of who He is? Doesn't that give you happiness? To know that he's your God? So when you consider who he is, that should bring you joy. When you consider what you mean to him, that should bring you greater joy. This God who is so awesome, he loves you intensely. He loves you intimately. He loves you personally. As you meditate and reflect on that, that should bring you amazing joy. When you think about what he has and continues to provide for you, That should give you inner joy as well. Think back to all that God has done for you and all that he says he will continue to do for you for all of eternity. Does that fill you with joy? Turn to Philippians, if you will. 
just so you can see two examples of how our joy is found, it's sourced, it's connected in our God. It accompanies our personal relationship with the Lord. It's a byproduct. But Philippians 3, 1, the first part of that verse says, Finally, my brethren, just, out of, just so you know, he, he, he has that whole chapter and then a whole chapter after that. So just when I, said, when I say things like, and we're going to end with this, you know, don't necessarily think it's really the end. But finally, my brethren, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Where do we get our joy? In the Lord, who he is, what we mean to him, and what he has provided and done for us. Turn to chapter 4, verse 4. Paul, same letter to the same church in Philippi. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice with an exclamation point. I don't have the voice for it this morning. Rejoice. Where is our joy found? In the Lord. That's where we find our joy. I'll just put this one up here for you. Psalm 32, 11a says, be glad, same word for joy. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. You see how both of these last two verses that we're looking at, there's lots, there's tons of verses that talk about our joy being found in the Lord. But you see how we have, they repeat themselves just for effect. Here we have repeating. Be, be joyful in the Lord and be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord, and again I'll say it, rejoice. That's our source of joy, who we are. Now another aspect of joy is that joy is a byproduct of remaining close and connected to Jesus Christ. So we saw on one hand that our joy is experienced through recognition of who we are to the Lord, who He is and what He's done for us, but it's also a byproduct of this relationship we have. When we have intimate closeness with Him, then we experience Joy in a way we otherwise would not. Psalm 1611 says, You will show me the path of life, but it's in your presence that fullness of joy is found. At your right hand is another word for joy, our pleasures forevermore. It's through proximity with Him, it's through a right relationship with Him, it's through living life with Him that we can experience the joy that Paul is praying that these believers be filled with. Another thing to consider is that joy is, a, is produced by the Spirit working in your life. So that's why I started by saying we really need to be filled with God Himself, filled with the Spirit, and then we're filled with the things that the Spirit produces. But one of the things that the Spirit produces while working in your life is joy. We see that in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the first part. It says this, the fruit or the things that the, the Spirit produces... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. So we'll see that this applies to both of our emotions, both of our topics here for this morning. Be filled with joy and peace, but they're sourced in God Himself. They're found in a right relationship with God. They're, fo- they're found with a focus on who we are, who He is, what He's done, and they're produced by His Spirit living inside of us, and it's found through intimate fellowship with Him. 
All of it is tied to Him and connected to Him, though. You don't produce any of this in your life. If you want more joy in your life, then get your eyes on the Lord. As you look to the Lord, as you're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, as you're walking with a dependence on Him, as you're trusting Him instead of being focused on everything else, if you're looking vertical instead of horizontal, as you're walking by means of His Spirit, as you're filled with His Spirit, then you're going to have the very things that you're desperate for. Which of these things are you not needing? As you finish the list here, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's your patience. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Which of these things can you do without? Which of these things do you naturally have an abundance of? When you talk to people and you meet people who are desperate, people who are suffering, people who are down and out, people who are miserable, which things are they missing in their lives? Which, which things are they searching in all of the wrong places for? These very things that God says He alone can produce in your life when you'll just trust Him, when you'll just let Him in. You'll let Him be a part of your life. You'll depend on Him. He says, I'll give you all the things that you need and all the things that are good and all the things that you've been searching for. Ah, I don't, I don't want that. That sounds too good. He says, you can't do this, but I can do this. Uh, let's just agree to disagree. I can figure this out. I'll find this somewhere else beside you. You can't do this without me. You can't find this anywhere else. That's where the trusting part comes in. We're going to see that in a second. You naturally feel happiness when you reflect on the fulfillment of God's promises. So when we talked about that hope and how it connects to joy here, the hope was tied to God keeping His promises. It's His confident expectation that what God says He will do, He will do. And so as it relates to the Christian, there's, again, so many aspects of that, but you feel joy and you feel happiness as you experience the confident hope that we have as Christians that God will keep His promises. That's the other aspect of this. In that sense, joy and hope are directly connected. You can't really separate them from each other because the hope is tied to that confidence in God. And as I'm walking by faith and trusting God to keep His promises, I experience joy because as I'm doing that, His Spirit is working in me to produce joy, but it's also giving me happiness to think about or contemplate the goodness that God has planned and in store for me. It says, eye has not seen and ear has not heard the wonderful things that God has planned for us. You think about you think about it's beyond our comprehension even what the future holds for the Christian. Even in time, he says, I'll provide everything that you need. So we have happiness in that. We need to move on. The next one is peace. Be, my prayer is that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace. See, peace is often defined as the absence of free, or freedom from conflict. But God's peace involves an inner spiritual and supernatural tranquility. That sense of spiritual tranquility. And it's supernatural. It's not something, again, that the world offers. I've already touched on this 
here when I touched about there's no hope without God. And obviously there's none of the qualities of God which are joy and peace without God either. You see, there's no peace of God until there's first peace with God. Peace cannot be experienced while estranged from God. God provided the solution for ending the hostility associated with mankind's rebellion against him in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. Remember I said that in Romans chapter 5, it said that in verse 10, we were God's enemies until God could reconcile us to himself through the person and work of his son, Jesus, which I've touched on at length. God is the only one who could make peace in terms of the estrangement that man had faced between themselves in their sinfulness and God in his holiness and righteousness. To be an enemy is to be at war. It's not to be at peace. Who wants to be at war with the sovereign God of the universe? I'll tell you what, everyone who rejects the Son of God remains estranged from God, remains under God's wrath, in a sense remains God's enemy, though God loves him desperately, though God wants everyone to be saved. Think about that. So there's not going to be any of God's peace until there's first peace with God. And Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been, or since we have been, justified by faith, how can a man be declared to be in a right standing by God? There's only one way. Faith in the finished work of Christ. Faith in the righteousness of Christ having been applied to your account. But we're justified by faith alone. You don't add to it. Ephesians says it's not of works. It's a gift from God. It's not of works lest anyone should boast. But we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. touched on all this earlier today. We have peace with God through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now we can have peace with God. After we have peace with God, we can now experience the peace of God. It can be enjoyed by every child of God. Because real peace is sourced in God, just as real joy is sourced in God. We have a verse that brings out that principle here. Jesus is talking in John 14 as he's going to go back to heaven. He says in verse 14, John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, meaning a temporal fleeting passing peace, but a peace that surpasses all understanding is the kind of peace he's talking about. So he says, in light of my peace, a divine peace, this supernatural peace being parted to you through your relationship with me, let not your heart be troubled. Now, did they have a lot to be troubled about? They were facing persecution, the likes of which we have never even identified in any kind of a way or identified with in any kind of a way here in this country. We have no clue whatsoever what real suffering and persecution is like. Not even, the, not even the tip of the iceberg. But in, in the face of all that, because of God's peace given to us in a supernatural way, your heart doesn't need to be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, is that something you can take to the bank? Confident expectation in God fulfilling his promises. That is a promise that God makes. We saw it with source and God, when we talk about peace is sourced in God, real peace, just like real joy is sourced in God. There you have it again, Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and there we have it, peace. 
Now, experiencing God's peace on a practical basis is dependent on your thinking, though, and we're going to get to that in our next clause here with in believing. But I want to show you a couple of verses that bring out this principle. It says in Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace, but what is the condition of that? Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. We're going to say, see in believing here next. This is what this is talking about. You can't experience You can't be filled with all joy and peace that God provides if you don't trust the Lord, if you're not presently trusting the Lord. Yes, at a point in time, you had to trust the Lord. That's how you got access to any of this, because you were born into God's family. He said, I'm going to put my spirit to live inside of you. When you're walking by means of or depending on my spirit, my spirit will produce in you the qualities that are consistent and compatible and describe me. And some of those qualities are love, joy, and peace. But you're not going to experience any of that when you're not trusting me in an ongoing kind of a way, not in terms of for your salvation from sin's penalty, but you're trusting me to provide and undertake in your practical daily walk, your Christian experience, your Christian living, your current state of being where you're operating by faith and trusting God. Same idea here when we see in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, be anxious for nothing. How do you experience peace? Peace is the opposite of anxiety. By trusting the Lord, because you're never going to give things to the Lord or pray to Him or ask Him to undertake if you don't trust Him. So, but in everything, instead of being anxious, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, another aspect of prayer, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, remember it's a supernatural peace, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's how it's all accessed. It's your identification your positional identity as being in Christ that can really give you peace. Because as we reflect on being His child, you can say God's never going to fail to undertake and provide for His child. God is more powerful than anything I'm facing. You're faced with something that is it's shaking you. It's pushing you down. It's got you in a place where you are absolutely feeling a sense of desperation and hopelessness. Now, in those places, do they happen in life? Where you're on your knees, you're just crushed by the weight of this world. Does that happen? As that happens, where is peace going to come? It's going to come from recognizing that regardless of how heavy and how weighty these things are that I'm facing and carrying and being confronted with, my God is bigger. My God is big enough. I can trust you in the face of this knowing that no matter how big this is, you are bigger, God. Are you going to take that to the bank? Are you going to respond to that in faith and trust God with that as you sit here this morning feeling those weights, carrying those weights? Experiencing God's peace, experiencing God's joy, it's dependent on your thinking. We have this next phrase, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. He's not talking about first tense salvation here. He's not talking about that point in time where you decided to put your faith in Christ's finished work on your behalf. That happened at a point in time long ago for these Roman believers. They're already children of God. They're already believers. It is true that that is ultimately how you got access to God's joy and God's peace because you were born into his family and his spirit 
took up residence inside of you, sealed you, you were sealed by his spirit, and because of his spirit's inworking inside of you, you can experience these qualities of joy and peace. But that's not what he's talking about. That was positional. Now he's talking about on a practical, day-to-day basis, how can you be filled with all joy and peace as sourced in the God of hope? Well, in believing. See, it indicates a precondition for accessing or experiencing these blessings. We're talking about this confident confident expectation in God keeping His promises. His promise in this context is to fill you with the things that His Spirit produces, which is all joy and all, all peace. How do you experience that on a practical basis? Well, you have to be presently trusting the Lord. You have to have faith, presently have faith in the Lord. You have to presently be relying on the Lord. If you're not, you're not going to experience God's joy and God's peace. It's produced by His Spirit when you're walking by means of or you're filled with the Spirit. When He says be filled with the Spirit, it means you're not always filled with the Spirit. You have the Spirit inside of you positionally because God permanently gave it to you as a down payment on your future inheritance. He sealed you with it. But you're not always filled with it in the sense of walking in dependence on or by means of entrusting God's power source and God's provision for your life. You're not always filled with that. But when you are, you naturally then will experience God's joy and peace. That's why the focus here is on in believing. See, joy and peace are experienced as presently believers trust in Him. That word in believing is in the present tense. Meaning this is your present state of being. When believing is your present state of being, then you will presently experience God's joy and peace. You see in Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, hope and faith are connected. They go together. Hope is forward-looking in a sense. It's the forward-looking manifestation of Faith or trust in God. When you're trusting God, you have that confident expectation that God will keep his promises. So we call that hope. That's biblical hope. So when you say trust him in believing, trust him in what way? Well, not, not again for your eternal salvation, but trust him for present salvation in your everyday life. Victory in your everyday life. Victory over the power of sin to distract you from your mission. Trusting His power, trusting His plan, trusting His provision, when you're doing that, you will be filled with all joy and all peace. Hope doesn't operate apart from faith and trust. We saw that in Hebrews 11.1. Hope, again, is the forward-looking aspect of faith, but you see that here in 1 Peter 1.21. It says, who through Him, Jesus, believe in God who raised him, Jesus, from the dead and gave him, Jesus, glory so that your faith and hope are in God. They're two aspects of the same thing. See, faith is to be convinced to rely upon something just in general. But the forward-looking part of that is hope, meaning we have a confident expectation. We're relying and depending and trusting on God, keeping his promises that he's made. And so that's how those go together. While it is God who provides the joy and the peace, it is your continuing confidence and trust in God that enables you to experience the practical impact of His blessing. 
So are you going to experience joy and peace in the face of this trial that you're facing today? Each of you facing different trials? How are you going to experience that while walking in dependence on yourself to solve the problem that you're going through? By being overwhelmed in a horizontal way with the trial itself where all you can see is the trial and you're not seeing Him? You're not looking up, child? No, you will not experience joy and peace in the trial you're in unless you can get your eyes off of the circumstances, get the eyes off yourself, stop focusing on a solution to the problem, and focus on your Savior, the one who can solve every problem, can meet every need, and has promised to never fail you, to never leave you, and to never forsake you. That's how you can experience God's joy and peace. So we see these last phrases here, that you may abound in hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that's how it's accessed, that you may abound in hope. So when we're trusting God, we're described as abounding in hope, the one who is presently trusting God. This is Paul's desired outcome for these believers. The word translated abound means to be over and above or to overflow. So it fits in really nicely with this word filled. Filled with joy and peace in believing, and as I'm trusting and believing, I'm both filled with joy and peace, and I'm overflowing with hope. You see, being filled by God with joy and peace should result in an overflow of hope regarding the fulfillment of God's other promises relating to you. If God is presently filling you with joy and peace, doesn't that strengthen your hope? As you see that through trusting Him on a present basis, that it fills you with joy and hope, does, joy and peace, doesn't that give you a greater hope that God will fulfill all of the other promises that He's made to you too? About your future? About your tomorrows? About His provision for today? It reminds me of this song that I've heard recently called Do It Again. And it says, I've seen you move. You move the mountains and I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way, and I believe I'll see you do it again. It's by seeing God work in our lives in the present that we have a greater trust, faith, and confidence that he'll do it in the future. As we reflect on God's past faithfulness, present faithfulness, we have a greater hope and confidence in his future faithfulness. You see how that all comes together where we're overflowing then with hope? You see, the alternative to abounding in hope is hopelessness. That's the alternative. When we're not trusting God, instead of experiencing this abounding, bounding, overflowing hope, we have lives that are characterized by despondency, despair, and desperation, all characteristics of hopelessness. And that can be true of you. It can be true of any believer who's not presently abiding in faith. Accessing God's promises through faith, trusting the Lord as a present state of being. Now, that hopelessness is true of every unbeliever. Remember, there was a time you were without God and you were hopeless because there's no hope to be found in self or in the world around us. But it can be true of a believer too, but it shouldn't be. That's why Paul is praying, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. Now, in case you were to not recognize that all of this is accomplished, not through us trying to be hopeful, 
not through us trying to fill our lives with joy and peace, but as a byproduct of the Spirit of God working in our lives. We have the final phrase here, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's so great that Paul constantly points us back to the power source for any of this goodness that God wants to bless us with in our lives. It's not through determination that we experience God's joy and peace. It's through enjoying Him, being fixed on Him, being focused on Him, having our gaze directed to Him. As we're involving Him in our lives, enjoying intimate fellowship with Him, staying connected to Him, letting His Spirit then work in our lives, walking by means of His Spirit, being filled with His Spirit, then we're filled with all of this as a byproduct of Him and His working in me. It's not about you. So often we, see, we hear these things and we're like, man, I got to be more joy-filled i got to buckle down and find some peace in my life. You missed the whole point of the message. The point of all this is that God provides this and produces this as a byproduct of living life and enjoying Him, learning to trust Him more. And as I trust Him, I stay focused on Him. I have a heavenly mindset. I have a vertical mindset. I'm focused on eternity. As those things are true of me, then these things will be true of me as a byproduct of what God is doing in and through me. So we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Our experience of overflowing hope is made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. To truly experience the Christian life is to experience God's empowering presence in the midst of life's uncertainties. To truly experience the Christian life is to experience God's empowering presence in the midst of life's uncertainties. It's God's power that makes this possible. That's real Christian living. That's the abundant life that Jesus was talking about. It is not up to you to conjure up hope or any other spiritual quality. Your only access comes through trusting God. Then God steps in and does the rest. The Christian life is a supernatural life in the fullest sense of that term. This isn't something that you can naturally produce in your own life. I hope you see that. So, could you use a little joy and peace in your life? Could anyone here use a little bit of joy and peace? Who wants to be filled up to the top, to the point of overflowing with God's joy and peace? You can experience them right now by presently trusting in God trusting His power, trusting His plan, trusting His provision. As you do that, you will overflow with hope. Being filled with God's joy and peace will be a byproduct of learning to trust Him, keeping your eyes on Him. Then you can truly say, my hope is in the Lord. That's where my hope is found. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and His righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we could spend together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this great encouragement in Paul's prayer here in Romans chapter 15. Pray that we could not just hear these things, but we could be impacted by them so you could produce or bring about a change of focus, a change of thinking, so we would resist the natural tendency to go through life focused on ourselves, focused on the things of this world, trying to wrestle and fight our way through life, trying to do it through our own strength, that we would learn that apart from you we can do nothing, that we would operate in complete dependence on you to do for us and through us what we could never do for ourselves. Pray that that would be a needed reminder that we could see that life can be filled with joy, life can be filled with peace, but it only can be found through you and by keeping our eyes on the right object, which is faith in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.